Welcome back to the Summers Off podcast. Today we're continuing our discussion of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Man, he has the teaching game down. We found so many nuggets of classroom truth hidden inside that factory. This is the Summers Off Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Jules. And I'm Mal. And I'm a SPED teacher. And I'm a Gen Ed teacher. So welcome to the Summers Off Podcast, the show for all of you August to May schoolaholics taking the summers off to rest, re-energize, and get up and do it all over again next year. We're talking about teacher life inside and outside the classroom and what it's like to live as an educator all year round. It's not just for teachers, but also paraprofessionals, administrators, and anyone who calls school their home away from home. So grab a room temperature cup of coffee and settle in with the The Summers Off Podcast. Last week, we talked about the incredible buildup. And this week, we're finally going into the factory to explore the chocolatey goodness of Willy Wonka and apply it to our classrooms. For us... In August or September, our factories are opening back up. How are we going to give our students that golden ticket experience this year? So when Wonka comes out, which is, you know, halfway through the movie, we actually see him for the first time. And he completely plays with everybody's expectations. Everybody's really high energy. And then he comes out pretending to, like, hobble along on this little cane. So he brings the energy way down. But there's a change in dynamic. And it's what what I've heard called that lean-in moment. When you know that your students are engaged, that they're not like moving and rah-rah and all that, but they're leaning in and observing. And he has that lean-in moment when he's doing that little hobble down the down the red carpet. And then he stops and does a somersault. And it's back to high energy and, oh, wow. And so he's really playing with their expectations. And I saw him, like, almost as a conductor bringing the volume down and pulling it back up, bringing the energy down, pulling it back up, and being able to uh, to keep them engaged by switching and playing with their expectations. When he does bring everybody in, he's making eye contact with each person, each kid, each parent. He's shaking their hands, saying their name, and that reminded me of how we're always encouraged to to be at the door, say hello to every kid in the morning. And it made me think, okay, how are we starting the day each day? Are we starting it? How are we going to start it positive and high energy and connecting with each kid? How do you do that? Another thing that I have learned after my first year, I started off the year doing that, standing at the door, saying their name, because I heard something really sad, which was like, you may be the only person the entire day that the child even hears their own name come out of their someone else's mouth. 
So, so pronounce it correctly, please. Yes. So, <laughs> but when things were getting more piled on top of me and I had more to do, I was staying late, coming early, mm-hmm. still prepping stuff. Yeah. I was busy sitting at my desk. I would still, you know, poke my head up and say, hey, good morning, blah, blah, blah. But this year I'm making it a point to, no matter if I'm prepared or not, be at the door and welcome them all in at least for, at least for the time that most kids are coming in. So I feel like that's really important to start the day off on a positive note. You can assess your kids and see what kind of mood they're in, Mm -hmm. see how you should react with them. I mean... The more that you're noticing about your kids and if the kids are noticing that you're noticing something's mm-hmm. off or something's different, the more they'll trust you and the better it'll, the easier it will be to build relationships with them. So this year I will be standing at my door. What you're saying really reminds me of my bad habit of last minute material prep. Yes. When I don't have materials completely prepared, it's a totally different day. I start the day differently. I'm rushing around trying to get stuff done while kids are coming in. I might say, hey, across the room and go put your backpack away and all that. But I'm distracted and my mind is all different places. And when my mind can be here and present with what's happening, I'm so much more focused than, and I'm, it's so much more likely that I'm able to directly engage with each kid. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, I like having fun music on in the mornings. I I have calming music on. Typically, like, it's happy. It's, like, Disney instrumental. Ah. So it's, like, familiar tunes that are happy but also not, like, bouncing off the wall because I feel like I want a sense of calm when my kids come in but also not, like, depressing piano music. (laughs) I am so bad about playing depressing piano music because I... I enjoy it. I tell my kids it it makes them smarter. (laughs) I have this uh, track that's... uh, Or I have this video... I play that's a bossa nova with rain. What? <laughs> with the sounds of rain. I love it. That's what I play all the time when I'm doing my work. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'll subject the kids to that because I love it so much. But I know I need to just choose something else. <laughs> sometimes I'll have, um, like if we're doing, a, you know, the unit on aquatic life, a lot of times I'll have, there's great um, sea turtles, like, um swimming along with music or there's always aquarium with uh, music that's like they like to look at it but it's but it's not going to um, be really energizing and get them keyed up I live for the holidays because I spend the whole year prepping my holiday music playlist yes I spend a lot of time I wish I didn't spend as much time finding the perfect fireplace YouTube video. <gasps> oh, I love the fireplace YouTube video. Let me tell you. So elf right. the elf music. That's uh-huh. just the Yes. That's my favorite thing to play in the mornings oh, during holiday so times. Fun. I'm gonna try that. Yes. Oh man. 
Yeah, I, I'm visualizing right now the there's a fireplace with a Christmas tree and it's got like some awesome like Dean Martin. Yes. Classic classic uh Christmas. This is not the Christmas episode, even though <laughs> I we, love Christmas. It's we July though. It's, it's our Christmas, Christmas in July. July. I never heard that. I always have. It's fine. Christmas in July is our Christmas in July episode. Uh, by default. Okay. All right. So he uh, he has them come in, and he continues to play with their expectations with uh, those crazy little um, hands hands that grab their hats. Oh, they're creepy. Um, the exit door is also the entrance door. There's a room that plays with perspective, and it looks like they're shrinking, like, like they're getting bigger. The room is getting smaller. And then he takes them to the grand room. Oh my gosh, I have so much love for the Grand Room. It's this immersive experience where kids are free to explore. He says everything is eatable or edible, and uh, except the Chocolate River. That's like the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil of the Grand Room is that you cannot touch the chocolate. Uh, but... This room, they're able to run and play, and they do this independently. They're exploring everything. Uh, they're eating everything. And I think we need some learning experiences that are like this. Yeah. What kind of learning experiences do you have that are that are just the kids independently exploring that way? What kind of experiences do you have that the kids are independently exploring that way? Well, it's really important... Uh, especially in life skills, that they are learning the academic skill of being able to work independently. And so at first, um, to be able to do that, they will have a work box, and it either has um, tasks that have an end or don't have an end, but they're able to do that and manipulate it and play with it on their own. And so, and, and then they can go on to ones that are step-by-step -step completion, and then they can go on to um, just these independent work boxes that are really working on their IEP goals, their individualized goals. And it's the same with a gen ed classroom. It would just be, you know, skills that they are working on. So do you have anything where the kids are really working independently and you're taking more of just a monitoring role? I mean, in all of our subjects, you have the model workshop. Mm -hmm. So you have your, basically it's like an I do, we do, you do. Mm -hmm. And the first part is obviously you are doing it. As the teacher, you are modeling it. Mm -hmm. And then you let them do the we do. So that's you doing it with them. That's when I let them do their group work. Uh -huh. And then the you do is when they're just doing it by themselves. So every single subject has that. Um, yeah. And specifically in reading and writing, I always start on the carpet mm -hmm. and um, I model to them, you know, if the if the lesson that day is, um, I don't know, finding the main idea in the book or something, mm -hmm. I would show them how I find the main idea. And we use a lot of sticky notes. So they have their book, they have a pencil and they have a sticky note and they just sticky note their book up with like little notes that they've written. Mm -hmm. And so I show them how to do that, and then I let them kind of work with their partner, and I'll just watch, and 
you know, lean in and mm-hmm. give them different pointers or let them know they're doing good and specifically okay. what I see that they're doing good. And then I'll, like, tap them on the head, and that means they can go to their desk to keep working, doing uh-huh. the same thing, but independently. And that's when it's quiet time. Okay. So all of math, science, reading, writing, they all kind of have that workshop model. Science, not so much because it's, like, the five E's and it's different. Okay. Yeah. But... The, so you're you're kind of floating, giving feedback, but a lot of this, like especially with stations, there's that time at the beginning uh, of the six weeks that they're learning how to do that station, and then they're going and they're able to do that independently when and doing their rotations. Yeah. So that's a good. Um, that kind of reminds me of the grand room experience of being able to explore. I have sensory boxes where I'll put in, you know, um, just some figures. Like if we're studying animals, different little animal figures that they need to find or uh, magnetic letters and they need to find the lowercase or they need to find an eye or whatever. Yeah. I think our curriculum is a lot different from other schools, though, because... Mm-hmm. Stations are a thing that we do, but it's really for younger mm. grades. So second grade kind of dabbles in the stations. Like you could do a station one day and then not do a station another day. It really mm-hmm. depends on you. So it sounds like you do a lot more stations than I do. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to like relate it to like freely exploring and stuff because... We don't always do, like, a explore-type situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. You might have more of that in science where yeah. you're observing. Yeah. But we have, like, more the morning time. I don't know. I feel like mine's, like, probably could do with a little less structure, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. more explore time. But it's still something that I'm dabbling with. Yeah. Figuring out the balance of. Yeah, you do have to figure out a balance with... Um, with that, because it can so easily just turn into, it's just free-for-all time. It's chaos time. My mentor, or my co-teacher and I, we kind of let this thing happen where we would teach the math lesson, and then they would do their independent assignment in their workbook, and then they would have different stations. They have they have a station they would go to each day, so they would stay at that station the whole, like, 20-minute, sometimes 30-minute mm-hmm. period. But we just realized there was not enough structure in there. And so we were just letting them do these stations. But it was both of our classes together. And oh. it was just crazy to even manage. So we're having to rework. We still want to do stations mm-hmm. where they have a specific thing to do that day. But I'm trying to make it more self-paced because... More independent. They they get a time to work with their partners, but they also still need to be accountable for what they're doing. And with the way we were doing stations, there's no way for us to even monitor if they were being accountable for what they were doing. So it was a mess. Yeah. It's a live and learn situation <laughs> that we had. Yeah. With the, I think if you, if you assign a rubric or an assessment, an observational assessment to things, it's easier to control that chaos and and uh, and move those kids toward a goal because right. it becomes chaos when there's no clear goal of this is what we're doing. Yeah, 
Exactly. So then we have the opposite. The after they go through this um, ridiculous um, this ridiculous boat ride on the Wonkatania uh, that is um, part of our nightmares forever. Uh, they come to the inventing room, uh, and it's the opposite of the grand room. They are not able to touch anything. He says, no touching, no tasting, no telling. So, because he, you know, he's really, he's really scarred by these people stealing his, (laughs) his candy ideas. So he says, no touching, no tasting, no telling. And it's the experimentation room, the research and development room. And so it's where the kids are just observing and they are not, um, and they are not exploring on their own, even though, because they, none of them have, none of the parents have, um, have decided to, to have any sort of discipline. Uh, the kids are blowing themselves up. Mike uh, Mike blows himself up with part of it, and they're still grabbing stuff. Baruka Mike makes himself small. Well, that's later in the TV room. Mike blows himself up? Mike blows oh, himself yes, up the with the... Oh, yes, the explosion where he, like, is... Exploding gum. Across. It's like exploding gum. Oh, gosh. What? Wait. He, uh, yeah, he eats, or maybe oh, it's exploding yeah, 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 candy. Yeah, 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 And he just gets flung backwards. Yeah, he f- gets flung back against all these pots that are there for Mike. some reason. Mike, you've just not been parented, okay? Uh, <laughs> and so, um, what? there is time for the grand room where everyone can explore, but then there is time when it's just observation and they're not supposed to be exploring, touching, yeah. anything like that. So what are the times in your classroom when it's that, that experimentation part. What are the times in your classroom where it's that experimentation part? So I think that that initial instruction where you need kind of all eyes on you or when you're modeling something for kids uh, or modeling reading, modeling correct fluency and the correct inflection, those are the times when the child is observing and they're not touching and they're not being distracted by things. Uh, it's, like independent work time, right? Well, independent work time or when, I mean, they're they're working and exploring during their independent work time, but it's those mini lessons uh, that the time when, you, when you're modeling that they need to see the correct way to do something. Right. And they're not going to get the correct way to do something. They have to imitate after they see it done correctly. Yes. And so, and for for my classroom, that's really difficult because, uh, and for lots of classrooms, especially with younger kids, where their attention spans are really short, my mini lessons are very mini. They yeah. are very... Ours are supposed to be like 10 minutes max, 10 to 15 minutes max. Yeah. They're super short. The time that the kids are focusing and not doing anything else is very short. That's my biggest struggle too because I always feel like I'm droning on and on and on. And I I'm like I can't tell if they have it yet. So I'm just going to like teach it again, show it again. I'm like I need to just learn. Okay, show it to them, let them do it in front of you and then send them off. You don't have to just yeah. drown them 
drown them out with the sound of your voice. Yeah, sometimes I bore myself, and I'm like, oh, these kids must be incredibly bored if I'm boring myself. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, they're like, I don't want this golden ticket's worth nothing <laughs> to just sit here and listen to you. At the end of their time in the inventing room, they come to the everlasting gobstopper machine. And the gobstopper is the big MacGuffin of the entire movie. It's, it's that object uh, on, upon which so many things hinge conceptually. And he ha- it's this great big machine. He has it covered. So it's mysterious, but you can still see it moving. You can still hear it working and making those weird boing, meow, meow, meow. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then it's churning out these little gobstoppers, and the the gobstopper machine is where he makes that agreement and builds that trust, or builds an expectation of trust, meaning sincerity and meaning that, uh, and he's seeking someone he can trust. And who ends up with the actual trusting relationship? Charlie. Charlie, the one who uh, who who turns in the gobstopper in the end. But it made me think: How are we creating that creating that agreement of trust with kids, and the agree, agreement of sincerity, and the agreement that they are going to give it their all, and that. They're not going to phone it in. That they're going to be all in. Well, I think it just starts with you proving to the students that they can trust you. So, you know, that all starts with relationship building. Mm-hmm. And maybe it doesn't even have to do with school. But if they have a relationship with you and they've built up a trust with you, when it's their turn to show that they trust that... So basically when... You show them that you trust them, Mm -hmm. and they, you know, trust is earned, received, and reciprocated, I feel like. So, I don't know. I think it all starts with building relationships, and once you build that relationship, they want to impress you, and they want to, like, make you proud. Mm -hmm. And they want to prove to you that you were right to trust them, Right. you know, to do whatever learning experience they wanted or to work independently if they want to work independently. So, I don't know. I feel like it just starts with the building of the relationship first. That's why it's so important to hit that when you start school. That's why it's so important to have a morning meeting where you're covering social-emotional topics. That's why it's important not to embarrass your bad-behaving kid in front of the whole class and instead have a private conversation. I feel like Yes. The generation has changed so much with the way teachers treat their students. You know what I mean? Yeah, what kind of poor kid are you that you can only get two chocolate bars? Yeah. You're or, worthless. Or just calling them out in front of everyone. Yeah, putting the dunce hat on them and having them sit in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> that day is gone. Yeah. The writing sentences on the chalkboard day is, is over. Yeah. I mean, there are some times where you have to discipline a kid and just because you're 
disciplining one kid. I mean, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So at some point, there has to be, like, a discipline, but there's a big, broad line between, dis- like, disciplining that kid for something they need the discipline for or embarrassing them over them making a mistake, you know? Right. You have to think about what your reason is. The reason that you're disciplining them, is it to humiliate them? It shouldn't be. No, it shouldn't be to humiliate or to knock that kid down a level, but it it should be to... Teach them. Yeah, to, to build them up to to what they can be doing. Right. And if we offer trust, if we tell them that we're trusting them, they want to be trustworthy. Yeah. Deep down, all kids want to be trusted, even mm-hmm. if they play it off like they don't, like they don't care. They do care. Right. And I think that it's important to, um, to explicitly state when they've broken your trust because so many students don't connect their misbehavior or um, connect them. As it affecting anyone else but their their own selves. Yeah, that it's it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. It's just that they did what they wanted to do. Yeah. And even if they didn't, you know, physically hurt someone or emotionally hurt someone, like they've broken trust with you. Right. And I think that it's important to 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 actually say that so that they understand. Yeah. And that's why our our school district is doing a specific social emotional curriculum. And Mm -hmm. so we start off each day talking about things like that. I mean, I'm sure there's like a self-discipline and there's a trust and respect and all Mm -hmm. that. So we are explicitly telling kids, you know, doing the, you know what I mean? We're explicitly Mm -hmm. talking with kids about expectations, and I feel like this is really helping kids understand more than just, well, my teacher said I need to do it, so I need to do it. Yeah, and it's... Or my teacher said I need to do it, so I'm not going to do it. It goes more than just She doesn't own me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the... Oh, we have these, the, the SEL lessons... Uh, that we have, I think it's really important to to integrate and weave that language into the everyday citizenship that we're seeing right. so that they are connecting that. I notice that when we go over a certain topic, because we have a certain topic for the week, and when we spend every day talking about that specific topic in different ways, mm-hmm. I notice that kids are using it even in their social language with each other. Mm-hmm. Like on the playground, I'll be overhearing, you just showed that person empathy. <laughs> <laughs> or like, I'm going to show her empathy. I'm going to tell her how it made me feel when she did this to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I hear I hear more social emotional language being talked about by kids all the time on their own. Yeah, the other day Charlie was in the, my son was in a, pool and a kid was splashing and he was like I am okay I can I do a breathing exercise because uh, I am I am getting too excited (laughs) okay I'm going to breathe (laughs) he's funny he's gonna do it he's gonna narrate it 
Okay, so I want to talk about what happens in the TV room. We're down to just Charlie and Mike TV, okay? And Mike TV's mother is a teacher. She is also a know-it-all. She's a teacher of geography, and she is just just thinks she knows kind of everything about everything. And she she has let the the TV parent Mike, and so. In the TV room, Willy Wonka has something that is right there in Mike's wheelhouse. He loves the TV, and he this is an interest to him. And so we have these things that are interesting, but then it goes a little haywire because uh, Mike just grabs the remote, runs off on his own, and um, becomes a tiny person on television. And so Mike TV's mother has raised him in the way that even though during this they have the safety goggles, they have the full suit. It is clear this is a a room that where we need to be safe. So Mike TV's mother has raised him in a way that he feels totally comfortable that there are no going to be no consequences, no boundaries. He, yeah, when he grabs the remote, runs off and turns himself into a a TV-sized uh, child. And then he says, wait till everybody hears about this. And Mrs. TV says, nobody's going to hear about this. And she grabs little tiny Mike, puts him in her purse, hands the purse to Mr. Wonka, and says, Here. And I see that all the time in the classroom. There are parents who will not discipline their children, will not, uh, they, they will spend all of these years just essentially creating these horrible behaviors. And then they hand the child to the teacher and say, here. All the more reason to be explicitly telling both your students and parents, what expectations are. Because you don't need to assume the role of the parent, especially with this whole coronavirus thing going on. Mm. I just think it's important to let parents know your expectations, kids know your expectations, so that it isn't just handed off to you. Right, and I think that continually stating how this is a collaborative process between you and parents, that that those things aren't going to just be dumped on top of the teacher role. Because as you've said, we're not parents. We we're we're not their parents. We're their teachers and there's a there's a line between the parent role and the teacher role, but there's gotta be that huge collaboration. I feel like it's kind of like two parents whose child knows how to work both of them. Mm, yes. And that can happen. so parent relationships, you know, need to be collaborative between mom and dad or mm-hmm. mom and mom or dad and dad. They need to be collaborative together. And the same situation with parents, the two parents and the teacher. Like you guys need to be on the same side. On the same page. Not yeah. exactly like against the student or anything, but the student needs to know, okay, my parents and my teacher are on the same page. 
Right. These are the expectations that all of them have for me specifically. And right. so that starts with communicating with parents and letting them know your expectations. And then also I feel like it's really helpful to ask the parent what their expectations are. Mm-hmm. So I give them like a Google form the beginning of the year and I, you know, all their information, email, all of that. And then I have a place at the end where they can list their three goals for their student that they have this year mm-hmm. or just things I need to know. And I feel like just fostering that communication, letting them be heard by me and letting them know that I want to know their goals for their child. Right. I feel like that just starts it off on the right foot. And then whenever you have parent conferences, like following up on those goals, like consistently letting the parent know where the kid is in academic-wise, I feel like all of that helps you build the relationship. All of that keeps you and the parent on the same pages instead of butting heads. Yeah, because no parent wants to be in the dark until they get the call or the email that, wow, you know, your child is is failing and has been failing and has been, you know, in this downward trajectory all school year. And I'm just calling to let you know. It's happened. That he's, <laughs> that he's failing. That I, feel like I will see him again next year. And that's why... I also feel like it's important not to just expect your parents to be checking the grade book or checking, you know, Have the you work. Have you checked your grade book? Like checking the work that the kid brings home. Because a lot of times I will find the work shoved into the back of the desk, the mm-hmm. graded work, and it doesn't make it home. So yep. I know it's a lot of effort on the teacher's part, but that's our job. You need to be reaching out to the parents, letting them know. I mean, your life will be just so much easier Yes. if the parents are in the know so you might as well just make it easy for yourself instead of harder later on and so you don't have to cry after a parent interaction (laughs) you never have to cry I did my first week (laughs) but it was fine because we ended up growing from that that's good I also feel like I was a new teacher so I was actually terrified and even though I was feeling like that parent was bad at me they really weren't I just had Mm -hmm. to learn how parents brains are Mm -hmm. and what parents intentions are it it was not their intention to make me upset it was their just being a parent right so and I know that like with my sons I have a that mama bear instinct and um and if I ever you know disagree uh, with my perception of what a teacher's um, doing or interacting with my child, I need to communicate with that teacher, and I need to clear up if there, if there, if I do have misconceptions about what's going on. Then yeah. I, you know, we really need to to communicate. Over, you should over communicate. Or communicate clearly. Yeah, but if you think that you're over-communicating... You're probably just communicating. You're probably just communicating. (laughs) And the parents probably like it. So, there were very clear consequences for not following directions in this movie. And everybody, including uh, Charlie to some extent, received a very clear consequence for their actions... Wonka does something interesting. Whenever he communicates 
clearly the directions and the boundaries, the kids one by one cross those boundaries and uh, break those rules. And the consequence is so clearly related to the action. And he remains aloof and pretty disconnected from the consequence. He doesn't allow it. I mean, when he first talks about some of the consequences, they seem fatal, uh, like that, you know, they're going to be... Don't give a fatal consequence. ...burned in the furnace or (laughs) juiced or all that stuff. He... You know, in in the end, we know that they're they're all going to be fine, but uh, but he doesn't take it personally. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't become enraged. He he's seen the kids. He's seen the adults, the their parents, and he knows to expect yeah. exactly what he gets from them, and so he uh, he doesn't let it phase him, and those consequences are just very clear communications that uh, a kid has broken the rules. Yeah. I feel like it's important going on to consequences. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's important if you give a kid a consequence after they've received their warnings, you give that consequence and you just remain as neutral about it as possible. Yeah. and Especially you... when it comes to like BIPs behavior intervention plans. Yeah, you let them know ahead of time what's hanging in the balance. And when they commit an infraction, that you just carry it out. You just carry out the consequence and and it's not a personal thing and you don't say, you know, y'all really take advantage of me. I'm a teacher and I give so much to y'all and rah, rah, rah. they are tuning out. They, they don't do care. not care. They, they do, do not, not care. Ca- they don't care. There's no point. You're just you're sitting there pitying yourself. It's lame. Yeah, don't do it. It is lame. And then as soon as the consequence is served, you forget about it. We don't, well, I mean, you, you yeah. don't have to forget in your brain, but you have to let them know, okay, here's a clean, sa- clean slate for you to try and earn my trust back. Yeah. Even if you don't really trust him. Don't hold a grudge against, against a child. Against children. It's ridiculous. Nobody don't hold a grudge. It it does, know it what does to no expect. good. Know what to expect. That's different than holding a grudge. Yes. So you're not taken by surprise. Mm-hmm. But don't let the kid know, well, this is what I'm expecting from you. Let the kid know that you have every belief that they can earn your trust back from from earlier in the day or earlier in the week when they did mm-hmm. something that was not so good of a choice. Yeah. So That's the worst part. That's the hardest part for me is not taking it personally. I feel like it's another thing that new teachers have to learn. Like you yeah. can get so frazzled by because you think it's just to make you mad. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just the student does that because... They're feeding something, some other yeah. need that they have. Yeah. You know? So, yep. So what do you think about these Oompa Loompas and their stern words to the kids? I think I need Oompa Loompas in my class to, like, watch over. Oh, if you do that, I'm going to sing this song about what's going to happen to you. (laughs) And it's because it's your... They could be my little little (laughs) co-teachers. I know. I was like, this is... uh, My little student teachers. (laughs) Or I could just be like... Uh, hello, paraprofessionals. Uh, I have some songs for y'all to learn. <laughs> <laughs> this year, when I point at you, 
Go ahead and sing the, you know, you're a glutton song. <laughs> no, Perez, we're not doing that to you. You're valued and loved, and y'all are made of gold. The Oompa Loompas are valued and loved as well. Yeah. And, I mean, they're just mouthy, though. Yeah. They're just, they just say it as it is. The Oompa Loompas? They do. They're, they're the ones who are just free to say it as it is. It's... Mr. Wonka, like, pretends he likes the, the kids, but the Oompa Loompas are like, well, you know what? We you got don't. no <laughs> You get no commercials. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're rough. I remember when I was substitute teaching, and I would go into a preschool classroom, and they all have paraprofessionals in the preschool classroom, and I realized that the teacher um, in this classroom... The teacher was the one doing the the lessons and um, teaching the kids new things and taking data. And then the para was the, stop that. No, don't do that. <laughs> like, she was, she was, like, definitely the no-nonsense, I don't care if anybody likes me. Yeah. Whenever my co-teacher, well... I don't, and I I don't it, think you should make your para be the bad guy. That is not, you want your don't para. Don't do that, yeah. Don't do that. I will say when my teacher next door and I were co-teaching, we would almost just in our minds assume different roles, and we wouldn't even discuss it. we just know which one was doing which during that specific lesson. One would be teaching, and the other would be circulating for behavior. Okay, I thought it was like good cop, bad cop. It kind of is. It is. We were like good cop, bad cop. I don't know who good is... Good cop, better cop. I don't know. But but then also there would be times where we were co-teaching, but someone was taking the main role and the other person would be monitoring for, for behavior slash jumping in. Uh-huh. Every time there was a lesson, but that's not true co-teaching. That's just like. What is true co-teaching? I know. They're like, that's not it. It's this elusive thing. It they is. don't want us to master it. Right. They want us to be on the journey forever. All right. So Charlie ends up winning the contest based on trust. So he wins more than he hoped for. So it, when he came in, the contest you get the tour, and you get a lifetime supply of chocolate, right? But uh, Wonka tested him to see if he could trust him, and he could trust him. He, he gave them that everlasting gobstopper uh, back, and and that when Wonka and Charlie were able to truly trust each other, that's when Charlie won more than he ever hoped for, than he ever expected, than the ticket ever promised. I think that in the classroom, we can have these incentives and these exciting things, but the kids are going to end up with something far greater than we ever promised. Right. Yes. How do you think they're going to end up with something that is greater than we ever promised them with just chocolates and candies and questions you're asking me i know i went on an existential journey with willy wonka i can tell (laughs) well i think their golden ticket is they 
always will remember the experience they had in certain in a certain grade level. I mean, that's how you become the favorite teacher. That's how you become <laughs> the favorite grade level. I mean, I have experiences that I remember. I mean, I don't remember really my teachers who just didn't make anything fun. Yeah. I do remember my teachers who did make everything fun. And on top of that, I remember the content that was made fun. And I remember it better. Yes. Like, I think cursive writing, we did some sort of fun cafe theme and now i do cursive exactly the way i was taught it in second grade what i needed i have not deviated any shapes of letters at all like and whenever i got all of my cursive materials because we're we're supposed to teach cursive in second grade now Mm -hmm. it's new it's back in brand new it's back in to the teaks I was going through the training, and I was like, I do all these letters the exact same way that I learned them. (laughs) See, and when I was in elementary school, that was the only B I ever received in my entire elementary career. I got a B-plus in handwriting in second grade. I still remember it. But it's, like, subjective. Right. You can't grade. Miss Ramsey, I'm coming to get you. You can't... You ruined it. I don't know. I don't think... I don't know. I don't know. If you asked me to write cursive now, you would... I mean, if you gave me a B plus, that would be very, very generous. Yes. It's sad looking. I deserve an A because I do it all the way that I was right. That I I was taught. (laughs) See, I needed to go to the handwriting cafe. And I I went to the... uh, I attended a online handwriting without tears and uh, training, and it was awesome, and it's just, like, it makes handwriting fun, like that cafe thing. Oh, my gosh. There's so many cool things you can do with handwriting to make it fun, especially with the kids who need extra fine motor skill work. So when we establish trust, trusting relationships between us and the students, between us and the parents, they win more than we ever promised with some golden ticket, with some um, positive reinforcement. They get this educational experience, and they get the, the experience and the correlation with wonder and fun and enchantment and excitement. And building that relationship between learning and excitement is something that is going to be a much greater gift than they ever thought they would have. Thanks for listening to the Summers Off podcast. Next week, we're talking to a group of teachers who have just finished their first year of teaching, not knowing that it was going to have a twist ending. The Summers Off podcast is produced by Albie Robles Voice. Thanks for joining us on the Summers Off Podcast. I'm Jules. And I'm Mal. Do you have any questions? Because we have questions for you. Find us on Instagram at Summers Off Podcast or visit our Facebook page to join the conversation. We want to know your thoughts and opinions about this crazy life we've chosen inside and outside of the classroom. Enjoy your summer break and tune in for next week's episode of the Summers Off Podcast. Podcast.